coming straight to you from the beautiful Chicago suburbs. It's the Tyndale Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Sabados. Today on our show, we have the author of Imaginary Jesus and Night of the Living Dead Christian, Matt Michelados. Matt is a former missionary, and he's a sci-fi and comic book fan. Put all these things together and you get these hilarious, actually really deep, interesting novels which bring up a lot of questions and ideas that we face in Christianity Christianity today. Matt's novels are critically acclaimed and, to be honest, they're a couple of my favorite books of all time. I was really happy that Matt took the time to let me interview him. I just want to throw out a little warning. The audio quality on the interview isn't that great. Uh, the... Sometimes you can hear me breathing and my voice comes across as a little monotone, but that was just because of the quality of the internet connection at the time. But I hope you will uh, enjoy the interview anyways. To keep up on future Tyndale podcasts, visit the Tyndale blog at tyndale.com blog. Or you can follow us on Twitter or find us on Facebook. All right, let's get to the interview. Welcome, Matt, to the first edition of the Tyndale Podcast. I just want to thank you for stopping by. It's a pleasure to have you. Well, thanks, Adam. I'm looking forward to it. I appreciate you inviting me. Oh, great. Um, when I first learned about you, um, it was through your editor, Sarah, who uh, randomly asked me one day uh, what I thought about a book that started with Jesus getting punched in the face. And uh, I was confused for a long time because uh, it wasn't until maybe a month or two later when I uh, discovered she was talking about a fiction book. So I was trying to figure out what kind of nonfiction <laughs> book Jesus would get punched in the face. But then uh, later after I had read uh, the manuscript for Imaginary Jesus, I tweeted uh, you that uh, I laughed so hard when I, I read the book that milk came out of my nose and I wasn't even drinking any. And uh, somehow that ended up as a quote in the front of your book, and I wanted to to thank you f- thank you for that right off the right off the bat. <laughs> yeah, I actually get asked about that occasionally. People are like, "Who is this just some guy?" <laughs> and uh, what I usually tell them is that we didn't want to admit you worked for Tyndale. We didn't want to make it look like you know we had to go in house to get people to say nice things. <laughs> well, everyone that I've convinced. Uh, to read the book, I've used that as part of my pitch, so it, it's it's been helpful. <laughs> but um, no, imaginary. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I just was saying good. Okay. Good. <laughs> um, imaginary Jesus uh, was a book that really surprised me when I read it. Everything about it was different uh, from any other Christian fiction book that I've read, uh, from the subject to the even the cover. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that book and maybe where the genesis of that idea came from? Yeah. Uh, So with Imaginary Jesus, I had originally intended the book to be sort of like a Don Miller, Blue Like Jazz style book with maybe a little more theology and maybe a little funnier was the idea, but still comedic essays about, you know, who is Jesus really? Uh, But I sent it to the guy who became my editor, Wes, or my editor, my agent, Wes Yoder, and Wes read it, and he said, you know, I'm really excited about your proposal, but I feel like you're holding back. You're not being yourself. 
do you even read this kind of book? And I said, not really. And he said, why don't you write something you would like? And I said, because it'll be really weird. And uh, he said, he'd agent unless I tried that. So I wrote the first maybe six chapters of Imaginary Jesus then, and we had talked about bringing stronger story into it, like Dante's Inferno or something like that, where you're talking about spiritual things in an entertaining, fictional way. And so that's what I did, and then Wes loved it, and some people at Tyndale loved it, and that was sort of how we came together. All right. Um, was the the idea from uh, about the um, different Jesuses that you encounter, uh, was that in the original idea for the book? Not really. I think in the original book, I was I was trying to find a way that would make the book entertaining where you pass it along, but it didn't have the story aspect, so I wasn't bringing in fictional kind of versions of Jesus. I would talk about it different ways. So that was actually when I wrote that first chapter uh, where Jesus gets punched in the face. I was really surprised when that happened. It was one of those weird moments when you're writing and the characters sort of get away from you. <laughs> because I thought if the Apostle Peter really saw the way we create these fake Jesuses, if he ran into one on the street, what would he do? And I was like, he would be furious. And uh, he would attack that guy. He wouldn't just politely sit there and go, oh, I think you're mistaken. He would, he would go after it. So when that happened, I was like, oh, no, what's <laughs> <laughs> No one's ever going to want to see this book. And then I've been really pleasantly surprised. Like, everyone loves that moment, actually, it seems like. Yeah. Uh, do you find that happens to you a lot when you're writing your characters get away from you? It, uh, I don't know about – well, I don't know if it's a lot, but it certainly happens. And there are moments where I really want a character – I need a character to do something for the plot – and they just won't do it. It's, it's not that character anymore. And it's really frustrating when that happens because, you know, it's weird to talk about, too. It makes it sound like you have a split personality. But really what's happening is you have this re realization. This character would never do that. The plot demands that they do it. So you either have to force the character to your will by changing what's happening, or you have to throw out the character and put someone else in there. I mean, there aren't a lot of – or the story goes another direction. Yeah. Uh, but, but some of that's the most fun thing about being a writer is when it's surprising you and you're going along for the ride and you're laying in bed that night going, I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow when I start working on this again. It's exciting. Is is that how you try to write? Does that does that help you as a writer Do you, um, to go into it with a, a fresh mind or do you follow any, follow any kind of a outline? Or do you just generally kind of know where you're going and go from there? I think with Imaginary Jesus, certainly I had some content uh, lined out that I wanted to touch on, like certain misconceptions about Jesus, certain incidents from my own life, because it's pretty highly biographical. So that really helped with Imaginary Jesus particularly, where I'd be like, well what happened next, and it just was, this came from my life, and it was how to present it best. So the plot was sort of already set in that sense. But there definitely were moments where I was lost because I didn't have an outline. And, you know, I'd write a chapter or two and then throw it out because it wasn't going anywhere helpful. Mm -hmm. Well, um, from what I've seen from different reviews, um, I, I noticed two major reactions to that book, either people are really excited about it and they think it's hilarious and they really like the 
refreshing, unique way uh, you approach a subject, or the other way is maybe people don't totally get your humor, or uh, uh, or the parable, or um, is that kind of what you've noticed, or have you? Is there other ways that people have reacted to this book? Certainly, those are the major camps, right? The people who don't get it, and the people who really enjoy it. That, that I don't think that should be a surprise, right? I think even if you look at uh, any compelling teaching, Christian, non-Christian, you know, Jesus, other people, that those who get it buy in and, and love it, and those who don't are confused or maybe angry or frustrated. Uh, you know, no, so many people didn't understand the parables of Jesus when he taught them, uh, but we have 2,000 years of church history of us kind of working through some of those things where we have sort of stock answers for it. So it's not a, yeah, it's not a surprise that there are people who don't get it, and sometimes the people who don't get it are people who they do get it if it's presented a different way. If it's presented as an essay, right. they get it. But we have lots of books of essays. And the point was, can we reach some people who aren't hearing it through the essays? Could they hear it another way? Yeah. Do you, um, have you ever gotten someone that was like, hey, Matt, way to tell those Christians you really, you really stuck it to them? <laughs> Do you have people <laughs> like that, like they thought you were on the other side? <laughs> well, given the cover and the title, there were some atheists who pick up the book thinking, that it's an atheist or anti-Christian book. Uh, typically, the response has been, wow, I still actually really enjoyed that. Once I figured out it was a Christian book, it still didn't bother me about who Jesus is. And I probably have five or six atheist friends now who I met purely because they read the book and sent me an email. But, yeah, I don't think I've had anyone say, yeah, you really stuck it to the Christians. But I've had people say, I've never heard anyone talk about Jesus quite the way you are. Could we engage on that a little bit together? Okay. Um, I noticed in your bio that you worked in a comic book store, and that shows up. Did. <laughs> that shows up in Imaginary Jesus. Um, did that? Has that affected your writing? Just, I'm assuming you're a comic book fan, also. Um, yeah. Did I mean? As a writer and as a comic book fan, did you ever come up with ideas for comic books? And did any of those characters leak into, or any of those ideas leak into your writing? Yeah, for sure. I uh, Actually, there's a chapter or two of Imaginary Jesus from the first draft that I eventually cut, where things were a lot crazier in the first draft. There was actually this whole section with a bunch of superheroes in it, including a couple of Jesus superheroes. And it, it just it went too far into crazy land, so it had to be all taken out. But for sure, I think comic books, uh, at least the ones I read as a kid, really opens up some weird possibilities that didn't used to be in mainstream fiction. They've become more common. But as you start looking at just the possibilities of what can be done and sort of the over-dramatic, episodic way stories are told sometimes. Uh, yeah, not being afraid to suddenly move someone to another era in history, those sorts of things. Comic, having read comic books gives you a lot of freedom to feel like you can do that, and it's not, it's not undoable. You've seen it done a hundred times. 
Uh, and, yeah, certainly, uh, right now I'm working on a comic book idea that I want to pitch to a company called Dark Mix, uh, but I'm finishing up right now and hoping to get off to them in the next couple of weeks. Today's Okay, switching gears now to your second book, Night of the Living Dead Christian, um, which again was another uh, surprising book that I really liked. Um, and it again has you as the main character, and uh, you kind of go through this bizarre journey uh, with these different monsters and characters from uh, fantasy and horror movies and things. Uh, where did where was the where did the idea for that uh, book come from? I think I was asking the question of we when we talk about salvation, a lot of times we talk about it in the sense of the things that are coming after death, the presence with God in heaven, you know, those sorts of questions. But Scripture is pretty clear that part of salvation is transformation today. And I looked at my own life and I looked at the lives of those around me and said, why are we – why are we struggling to experience that? Why is my life not changing? Why am I still wrestling with these problems? And I looked, started looking for a metaphor that fit that, and the one that seemed really easy, especially having grown up reading science fiction and fantasy and watching you know, all the movies with my dad, all those things, was this, the, the movie monsters. You know, like vampires are this perfect example where you have – uh, instead of, like, Christ gives his blood so that all can have eternal life, vampires selfishly take the blood of others. It's not voluntary. They take it away from them so that they personally can live forever. And then you have, uh, you know, zombies are a mockery of the resurrection. They live forever, but it's not a life anyone wants. And the, or, or a werewolf is wrestling with its nature all the time. It's doing things it doesn't want to do. And that became sort of the seed, the genesis of the, the story was, what if in real life we, those spiritual aspects of us became clear in this monster metaphor, and we had real, in my neighborhood, a werewolf and a vampire and a mad scientist all trying to figure out, how can I move beyond this? How can I be human again or become human for the first time? So that's kind of where it came from. Okay. Are you starting to... Uh anticipate the kinds of questions that you're going to get about this book? I don't know. With Imaginary Jesus, the response was so much more positive than I had anticipated uh, that I'm not sure what uh, what people will say about this book. I do know there are people who are sensitive about the supernatural aspects of things, mm-hmm. and which with good reason. Uh, but I think, I, I think what I've done in this book is something that any Christian person is going to pick up and not have major issues with, uh, because really the story is about the gospel, about Jesus, about life transformation. It's not horror; it's comedy, uh, and all the uh, there's no like scary moments in it, you know. 
Mm-hmm. It's all designed to cause us to be reflective about ourselves and whether we're moving toward Christ-likeness. Okay. Now, um, I noticed with uh, Imaginary Jesus, uh, something I really appreciated about you as an author was anytime I found uh, a, a review or anyone talked about Imaginary Jesus or you anywhere on the Internet, I always found you made a comment or contacted that person in some way. Um, is that something that you had planned to do, or was it just you just kept finding yourself doing it? <laughs> well, probably in my life, I'm not sure. There's tons of things we can look at and say Matt had a grand plan and it worked <laughs> out. It's usually more. That's what I found myself doing. I do think what's different about my books versus a lot of other books a lot of books are designed as an argument. They lay out their points, and by the end, what they want to do in their book is have you not be able to come to a different conclusion than what their book is arguing. Uh-huh. That's a pretty typical kind of Western way of approaching things, and there's no problem with it. It's excellent. The way Imaginary Jesus and Night of the Living Dead Christian are written is they're designed to ask questions and for us together to explore what does this mean. If these are the questions we have, these are the facts available, where do we end? It's a conversation. And so it seemed only natural as the conversation is spilling out of the book into the real world, I wanted to be part of that and talk about my point of view with the people who are reading it. And I just love it also. It's really, really fun to talk to the people who are reading, whether they loved the book or hated it. Uh, it's enjoyable to me to have a discussion with them about it. Mm-hmm. Now, it sounds like... The way you've explained it, uh, both Imaginary Jesus and uh, Night of the Living Dead Christian, you started with the premise that you wanted to talk about, and then you searched for a way to tell that story. Um, do you see that as always, this is always going to be the, the case, or do you see yourself challenging yourself in the future to saying, like, oh, I want to write a book where robots are the main character. Now I need to find a premise <laughs> where we can connect that. Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be great. I could do a book that was about ninjas and robots fighting each other over several millennia in secret from the human population. No, I I don't know. Yeah, of course. I mean, sometimes you start with a character. Sometimes you start with a premise. Sometimes you start with a a metaphor or just an image in your mind. Um, And all of those things are acceptable, I think. They're good ways to start a story. And a story usually become something more than what you're setting out for anyway. And I could do some of the characters in Night of the Living Dead Christian are so much fun. I I have thoughts about spin-off stories for several of the the supporting characters that I think would just be really, really fun. And they have a lot more to do with the characters than with an agenda of saying a specific thing. So yeah, for sure I could see where the characters are taking life uh, and they could go some really interesting and fun places. Yeah, I'm really excited for uh, this book to get out there and to start reading people's reactions to it. I think it's going to be really interesting. Um, Now, I hesitate to ask you this because this could be a whole other hour, but But, uh, since you're an author, I have to ask this because I get asked this question all the time. 
and uh, about getting a book published. And I know you've answered that question a lot in um, some interviews that I've read. But if if I just wanted to give somebody a quick uh, pep talk or a quick um, couple sentences about what what's the first thing you should do as a new author to work towards getting a book published? Well, I think the first thing you want to do if you want to get a book published is you need to learn to be a good writer. Mm-hmm. That certainly is a good first step. I meet people all the time who will say, I've never written anything, but I know I can write a book. It's really easy. <laughs> Without recognizing there actually is a lot of art and craft and hard work that goes into it. It's like me saying, I'm sure I could do a painting, uh, even though I've never had any training or never tried it. I could I could, I could, could totally paint a killer whale underwater in Hawaii with the sunlight glinting off it. It's not realistic, right? So I think that's a piece. You want to find places that you can practice your writing. And that can be in your journal. It can be a blog. It can be online magazines or, or print magazines. So many places you can practice and get good feedback. So that's one big piece. And I think publishers are looking for that piece. Is it, are, are you a good writer? They're looking for what you have to say and whether they think they can sell it, which is just a practicality of if you're, if you're going through a traditional publisher, that's going to be one of the questions. And one of the questions is, do you have an audience that's going to want to be a part of this, that's going to want to buy the book? So that could be, you know, big pastors with big churches, oftentimes they might have the audience. They might have a compelling message if they're sticking to the gospel, right? Uh, but they might be terrible writers. So you, either they bring someone in to help them or they have to learn to write. And so all those pieces together, I think, are the, the main pieces. Uh, I do think if people work hard and if they're really committed to writing, that they're going to they're gonna make it eventually. I, I, don't, I don't think there are a lot of genius writers sitting out there who can't break in. At least I haven't met them, if so. <laughs> yeah, I... I tend to agree with that, and I would also add in, um, be really nice to every <laughs> publishing person you meet, every author, even yeah. even if uh, you don't want to publish with that publishing company. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, you can't really be a jerk and expect people to want to buy your book and work with you unless you're really, really talented. <laughs> so it's kind of like as the talent increases, you can be increasingly uh, mean if you like. <laughs> but, but why do that? Right. There's, no need, there's no need for that. So maybe as you start publishing more books and are in more demand, I'll start hearing stories about how mean you are. Right, yeah, I'm hoping to become, like, by the end of this, I want no one to want to ever speak to me as a human being. They just want the next book to come out. (laughs) Um, Well, earlier today I asked Twitter if they had any questions for you. And one of your super fans, Marianne, had a question. Marianne, (laughs) aww. She had two questions. Uh, One was, what's the best thing about being an author? best thing about being an author. I honestly, I love writing. You don't have to be a published author to write, but it is really, really gratifying. It's really fun to write and then have a bunch of people read what you wrote. Uh, You know, I've written 
plenty of things that didn't reach that. I have a terrible, terrible screenplay I wrote that I think seven people have seen. Uh, it's on my shelf now. I've got a really awful fantasy novel I wrote that about the same number of people have seen uh, sitting hidden in my room. Uh, but it's really fun to write something and get it out there and see it impacting the world in some way. So that's really – I love getting emails from people that, positive or negative, say, I read your book. That's really one of the most fun things, I think. Her follow-up question is, what's the worst thing about being an author? <laughs> this is really funny, and this is a psych psychology issue. But – as an unpublished writer, you're working so hard to become a published writer. You so badly want to do that. Uh, but as soon as you get – writing's been my hobby for years. It's what I do when I get home from work to unwind. You know, it's what I do for fun, get off by myself and write for a little bit, or actually sit in front of the TV with my family and friends and write while they're watching TV. I do that sometimes. But as soon as I got a contract, that said, okay, now the book is due on a certain date, and here's some money, and we have to have it at this date because it's going to be published, it immediately went to being work. I mean, it's still fun, but I had an obligation to do it now, and it wasn't like, oh, I feel like writing. It was, oh, I have to write tonight. So that was – it's a weird mental shift, and I'm still enjoying it. I still love it. But there is this moment – I looked at my wife and I said, oh, writing just became an obligation. And she said, that's right. You better go get to work. And that was that was a sad moment. It felt like I reached my dream, and then the dream died immediately, you know, as soon as I grabbed it. So, yeah, I need a ghostwriter, I guess, or something. I'm not sure. Well, you can connect with Matt, learn about his book, read his blog at his newly redesigned website, imaginaryjesus.com. Matt? Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Tyndale Podcast. That was great, Adam. Thanks. This has been the first episode of the Tyndale Podcast. Thank you very much for downloading. For information on future podcasts, visit Tyndale.com slash blog. Or why don't you give us a follow on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. Special thanks to Mike Coates for providing our theme music. You can find more of his music by searching for Mike Coates, C-O-A-T-E-S, at YouTube. We'll see you next time.